Hey everybody, welcome to Boston Confidential, Bean Town's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There is a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Buckle up, because it's going to get bumpy. Hey everybody, thanks for coming back to Boston Confidential. My name is Barry McGuire. And I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact Due Diligence. I may not be able to help you, but I'll certainly direct you to the right agency. All right, everybody. We're on to the second episode of the Amy Lord case, which happened in South Boston in 2013. I know I left you kind of abruptly last time, and it was just at the time where Amy's body was being found. And I apologize for that. It was a tougher episode than I thought. For right now, I'm going to start off. I'm going to give you a timeline of the day of Amy's murder. Amy wasn't the only victim on Tuesday, July 23rd, 2013. I guess we'll just start right at the beginning. Tuesday, July 23rd, 2013, 4.30 a.m., a young woman by the name of Alexander Cruz. I'm a little confused on this, but she's either leaving to go to work or coming home from work, and she worked at Dunkin' Donuts on Old Colony Avenue in Southie. And she was either leaving or preparing to arrive but as she passed the gentleman on the street, she felt a sharp pain, and the next thing she knew, she was on the ground. At that point, she realized she was being attacked because Alexander Cruz was being dragged by her feet into an empty parking lot. She immediately panicked, tries to get to her feet, struggles a little bit, and she has this crazy interaction with this lunatic who just punched her in the face and knocked her to the ground. The assailant stated that if she screamed, he would kill her right there in the parking lot. So Alexander didn't scream, but she did begin to plead with him. She told him about her son and how he wouldn't have a mother if he hurt her. And Edwin Alamany's response was to, shut up, bitch, just know today you're going to die, or words to that effect. He was very reassuring. He was adamant in killing her. Somehow, Alamany turns his back briefly. Alexander Cruz runs a little bit away. And at this point, Alamany puts his hands on his head and says, what have I done? Some bullshit story about he had a hit, as in like a hitman on a woman who was pushing a baby carriage. And then he stated that this was like a case of mistaken identity. But he also warned Alexander Cruz not to go to the police because he knew where she worked. She did go on to work, and she was a mess. She had been punched in the face and dragged. She was beaten up, and her co-workers reported she was physically shaking. So she did go to the police. She was very brave, and the next day she picks out Alamany from a photo lineup, and she testified against him at trial, and she was one of the best witnesses I had ever seen. Okay, so the incident with Alexandra Cruz happened at 4.30 a.m. At 6 a.m., Amy Lord is 
to potting for her exercise class. She's going to meet her friend on the bus and they're going to head into HealthWorks in Boston for their morning exercise class. And when Alame could have taken a lesson from Miss Lord as to commitment, but okay. So Amy's exiting her apartment on Dorchester street in South Boston, which is maybe a mile, mile and a half from the Dunkin' Donuts where Alamany attacked Mrs. Cruz. Amy was exiting her residence, her apartment building, and the police believe she was heading towards her SUV. And she was accosted by Edwin Alamay and beaten on site and threatened with a knife. So Alamany gets in Amy Lord's car and they drive from the area. Now, over the next 47 minutes, from 6 a.m. on, Alamany has Amy Lord drive to several ATMs in the area. Four ATMs, I believe it was. The reason for the multiple ATM visits is because the ATM machine will not allow you to take out so much money out of one branch for whatever reason, fraud, theft, whatever. And we all have been in those positions where they shut off your debit card, credit card, because something is wrong. So Alamany forces Amy to go to all of these ATMs. And at one or two points, Amy actually exits the vehicle and is able to run away, but is so afraid, so simply afraid she couldn't do it. She thought she'd ride this nightmare out. And... That was a horrible mistake, but I can certainly understand it. I, I find no fault in her thinking on it. She was just petrified. So Alamany has Amy drive him all around the city for these ATMs. And then he has her drive to Stony Brook Reservation in High Park. And I have to give a disclaimer at this point. What I'm going to go through next is brutal, it's vicious, and it's graphic. So. This would be the point to shut the episode off if you cannot handle that type of graphic content. Well, Alamany takes Amy to Stony Brook Reservation in High Park, a beautiful park, biking trails, ponds, the whole nine yards. But he doesn't use the park for what normal people use it for. He uses it to brutalize Amy. Amy suffered more than 40 injuries. She was stabbed repeatedly in the pelvis, neck, head, and chest. 14 of those injuries, 14 of those stab wounds would have been fatal on their own. There were so many injuries that the coroner could not ascertain which occurred before death and which occurred after death. Mr. Alamany also likely sexually assaulted Amy as she was found unclothed with her running pants on one leg. And um, it was just a horrible scene. So I guess it would be a little later than 6, maybe 6, 15, 6, 30 at this point. But a short time later at about 8 a.m., Alamany was observed by himself with a friend getting gas at a local gas station in High Park. The duo get to talking, and this individual had known Alamany for about 10 years, and he said he appeared fine, calm, collected, 
he was getting gas and his friend asked, hey, where'd you get the new car? He said, don't worry about it. And later he asked, what are you doing here in I Park? And Alamany just smirked. This individual did end up testifying against them and he was a good witness and he was a brave man to do so, to go against this lunatic. Okay, so at about eight o'clock, we have Alamany now in High Park at the gas station. At 8.30, the Boston police respond to a car fire on Logan Way. And it is shortly thereafter discovered that this was in fact Amy's car. Amy hadn't been reported missing yet. Her parents and co-workers and her boyfriend were still going crazy. But I don't believe they had contacted the police. I think in the last episode, it wasn't until about 11 o'clock where they actually went to the Boston Police Department on this. So the BPD and the fire department respond to a car fire on Logan Way. Coincidentally, my grandparents grew up on Logan Way, and my mother lived there for quite some time as well. Logan Way is in South Boston, and it's in proximity to the Dunkin' Donuts where Alexander Cruz had been assaulted as well. And it later came to light that Edward Alame was staying in a nearby housing development, the old Colony housing development in South Boston. And I believe what he did was light the car on fire and then walk to his girlfriend's house. He was staying illegally in the housing projects with the mother of his daughter. So it seems he went there at some point, but the timeline gets a little fuzzy at this point. After Alamany burns the car at the old Harbor housing development, it is reported that he does a few things and I don't know which order they're in, but what I believe had happened, he went to a cell phone store and he was drinking in this establishment. He had a small bottle of booze and the guy who serviced him testified that he was flashing wads of money and acting a little bit irrational. So he gets a new cell phone, pays a couple cell phone bills and leaves. This is where the timeline gets a little sketchy. There's various reports that he had met with some friends in the area and started drinking with them at a bar. There's no mention as to what the bar is or where it was, and there was no mention of the friends that I could find. So he was at least day drinking with these guys. I mean, could it have been later than, you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning? I don't think so. But at a certain point, he goes back to his girlfriend's house. His girlfriend, her name is Elizabeth Stevenson, age 30, and she has a baby with Edwin Alame. So after his bout of day drinking, the police believe he went back to Stevenson's house and he stayed there for quite a while. But he ended up starting a fight with Elizabeth as he usually did. She had later testified that whenever he drank, they would fight and he would become violent. He was vicious and violent to Miss Stevenson as well. So Edwin Alame leaves the apartment in the old colony development, walks a short distance to Gate Street. And this is just before midnight. And Mr. Alamany was not through with his maniacal behavior. So now it's just prior to midnight on Gate Street. 
and Gate Street is in very close proximity to the Oconee housing project. At one end of the street, it actually opens right up to the Oconee housing project. So it's probably a three minute walk from his house or the apartment that he illegally shared in the Oconee housing development. So it's just before midnight and he runs into Kaylee Ballantyne age 21, who was coming home after her shift as a waitress in Boston. She was punching the code in to her building on Gate Street and noticed a man approaching her. Before she could finish punching the code in, this man started punching her, at least what she thought was a punching type activity. She didn't know until a short time later that he was actually stabbing her. So Kaylee Ballantyne starts screaming and one of her neighbors on Gate Street, I believe his name was Sean Stanton, looked out from across the street, opened the window and saw what he also thought was a man punching a woman. So he thought this was a domestic violence case. And he yells out the window words to the effect, hey, asshole, I just called the police. So he does that. That causes Alame. He doesn't run away, but he walks away. Stan ends up walking down the stairs and across the street to Kaylee Ballantyne, who by this time had gotten into her building and knocked on her roommate's door. She was covered in blood. It was like a scene out of a horror movie. Her lung was punctured, and she was ultimately transported by ambulance to Tufts Medical Center. At this point, the whole of Gate Street is on fire with this because South Boston is an absolutely safe community. Things like this typically don't happen. Miss Ballantyne is transported and she is immediately taken in to be seen in the emergency room. But Kaylee Ballantyne's roommate is in the waiting area and she notices there's another person there with a cut on his hand, a major gash. And she recognizes him as the attacker. While this was simultaneously happening, the paramedics and EMTs that were on the ambulance that serviced Kaylee Ballantyne were also providing a description to the Boston police. That description fit Edward Alamany to a T, and the Boston police were there within minutes and shortly thereafter had this lunatic in custody. So Edwin Alamay's reign of terror on this Tuesday, July 23rd, 2003, began at 4.30 a.m. It started as he attempted to murder Alexander Cruz. That didn't happen. He was unsuccessful in that, although he did hurt her. 6 a.m., he stumbles on Amy Lord, and we know how that ends, and continues drinking with his friends like he had just spent a day at work. His murderous shift doesn't end until just before midnight when he attempts to murder Kaylee Ballantyne. Okay, so are you pissed off yet? You should be, but it's going to get worse. But we're going to take a break right here, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you a story of another case that should have landed Edward Alame in jail for several years. Alame had conducted a similar assault in Mission Hill, one year prior to killing Amy Lord, who was an active and open case with the Boston police. 
but I have to call him like I see him. In this Amy Lloyd case, the police were all over it. In the previous case, in Mission Hill, the Boston police fucked it up. And if they had done a good job, if they'd done half as good a job as they did on the Amy Lloyd murder in the original case, there would have been no murder. All right, guys. We'll see you on the other side. Here's a little bit of a break, and I'll get right back to it. Are you a local or international law firm that needs accurate, comprehensive, and timely background investigations and litigation support? Let Impact Due Diligence Investigations do the legwork. If there's information you need for a case, we'll find it. When you need to know, call Impact. Visit us at impactduediligence.com. All right, guys, we're back. So just before the break, that was horrifying, I understand. Disgusted you a little bit, right? Well, now you're going to be pissed off because this case, the Amy Lord murder, and the other two sexual assaults in near homicide should have never happened. And I'm going to tell you why. On December 28, 2012, a 20-year-old woman was walking in the Mission Hill neighborhood on Parker Hill Avenue. She was accosted from behind, struggled with a man. She was soon overpowered and she was ultimately knocked unconscious. She regain consciousness and somehow during the struggle she had ended up with the assailant's wallet in her hand it was covered in blood she didn't know if it was hers or his or a combination of both so there was also another witness who had identified the assailant the wallet contained the id of edward alamany the description given by the victim in this case, and I couldn't find her name anywhere, but her ID of the suspect was a Hispanic male, six feet tall, that matched the independent witnesses statement as well. So what they had at this point was a victim lying unconscious on the ground, wakes up with Edward Alame's wallet. There was also a ball cap and a Gatorade bottle and maybe some other smaller items. So the case is a slam dunk, right? The victim wakes up and basically has the assailant's ID on her body. The other items could be sent for DNA testing and it's likely a slam dunk. So good day for the Boston police, right? Wrong, sorry. The case was assigned to a detective named Jerome Hall Brewster. And immediately, he set out to find Edward Alame. He goes to the residence that is indicated on his state-issued driver's license, but doesn't find him. The detective does a criminal records search on Edward Alame and finds that he's been convicted of several felonies. By this point, he's had over 45 entries on his criminal record, and several of those were felonies. So his DNA was known to be in the state's database. So the hits keep coming in this case, and it looks like it's going to be a quick home run. Something happened with Jerome Hall Brewster. Detective Hall Brewster did send the items for DNA analysis, and he did go by the listed address for Edwin Alame. But after that, this guy appears to have been willing to do little to nothing on this case. And it's shocking because this was a 
jump out of the bushes type assault, which indicates that the assailant may not stop unless he's stopped by the police. So I don't know what this guy was thinking. The detective did interview the victim, but he failed to interview the witness who attempted to intervene in this case, right? So at this point, the police, led by Detective Hall Brewster, think there is not probable cause to make an arrest. And that's astounding to me. On its face, it is absolutely astounding that the police, including Hall Brewster's supervisors, a Lieutenant Cullody and a Sergeant Detective Michael Stratton, think there's not enough probable cause to make an arrest. They have the likely perpetrator's wallet and ID with his DNA on it, likely. They have two independent witnesses, one being the victim herself, who said this was a relatively large Hispanic male. The independent witness who attempted to intervene also described him as a relatively young Hispanic male. The ID that was confiscated was indicated that this was a Hispanic male six feet tall. That is probable cause all day long. I'm not saying you end the investigation there, but that's probable cause. I'm going to read you a statement of probable cause, and this is taken from a website from a famous Massachusetts defense attorney, J.W. Carney, who represented Whitey Bulger, among other high-profile defendants. Probable cause. In this context, probable cause means the belief of a prudent person based upon known facts. For example, probable cause for an arrest exists when facts and circumstances known to the police would lead a reasonable person to believe that the suspect has committed, is committing, or is about to commit a crime. That's it, guys. It's pretty simple. It's one step above reasonable suspicion, but they had probable cause to arrest Edward Alamany on the day of this attack. They should have made the arrest. They should have taken some guys from the gang unit and went hunting for Edwin Alamany. And I don't know why they didn't. The supervisor in this case appeared to have to hound Detective Hall Brewster to do anything on it. Okay, so if Hall Brewster and the rest of the Boston police had located Edwin Alamay, they would have been able to examine him for bumps, bruises, scrapes, scratches. This woman fought back. It would be likely to be some damage to Edwin Alamay. And now you have not only probable cause, but case closed. This would be a victory. And Edwin Alamay, this maniac, would have been in prison right? Because this took place about 10 months before the attack on Amy Lord and the other two victims. So this case never should have happened. It never should have happened. And you have to lay it at the feet of Detective Jerome Hall Brewster. I'm sorry. I don't really blame the supervisors here because it looked like they have to kick him in the ass to do anything. The only thing I really find fault with with the supervisors is they didn't have his ass transferred out. This wasn't Detective Hall Brewster's first rodeo with being incompetent and lazy. During a case in 2011, he somehow led the video evidence of a pretty substantial assault and battery elapse because he didn't go get 
some videotape from a 7-Eleven. And I believe the Boston police ended up losing that case. And it was a pretty substantial assault and battery. It was not connected to Edward Alamey in any way. It was, in fact, connected to Detective Hall Brewster. And at that point, he should have been put out of the unit. I'm sorry. So on August 2nd, 2012, Lieutenant Cullody told Hall Brewster to go back to Alamey's listed address. You see, this lieutenant had to kick the detective in the ass again to do anything in this case. He still hadn't interviewed the independent witness who attempted to intervene. So it seemed like his supervisors were getting fed up with Hall Brewster as well. On October 5th, 2012, a Boston Police Department lab criminalist, Emily Ross, emailed Detective Hall Brewster asking if all those items had belonged or he believed they belonged to the defendant. And believe it or not, Hall Brewster doesn't even respond. So this goes on and on. And I don't think he responded until November 9th, 2012. So this was just a clusterfuck, really. And it seems to be not an intentional clusterfuck, but just not caring just laziness. So there's nothing in the record that Hall Brewster or any other member of the BPD contacted Edwin Alame in connection with this assault in Mission Hill. And it's bewildering to me. This was a major crime. So fast forward, you know, just under a year to July 23rd, 2013, Edwin Alame goes on this rampage through South Boston stabbing, murdering, beating women. It never should have happened. It should have been stopped in 2012 by Detective Jerome Hall Brewster. The only reason any of this came to light was because somebody told the Boston Police Commissioner, Ed Davis. Ed Davis ordered the Internal Affairs Unit to investigate the 2012 assault in Mission Hill and relate to him the facts as to why Detective Hall Brewster refused to act when there was probable cause. If they thought they didn't have probable cause, why wouldn't they run that by the district attorney's office? They're the attorneys. They'll tell you straight up. I could see probable cause all over this case. And even if you didn't have probable cause, you had reasonable suspicion to detain and question Edwin Alamey. A SWAT team should have been looking for Edwin Alamey at that point. At that point, he had over 45 entries on his criminal record. He wasn't going to stop. He's a career criminal. Okay, so there's more bad news in this case or good news. I don't know. I don't even know how to relay it anymore. So when Internal Affairs was ordered to investigate this case involving Detective Jerome Hall Baker in 2012, they had all of the items tested for DNA. And lo and behold, the hat and another item come back as having Edwin Alamey's DNA all over it. The bottle, the Gatorade bottle came back inconclusive, but if they had just arrested him at the scene or shortly thereafter, they would have had two witnesses, the victim, the person who had attempted to intervene, you would have had Edwin Alamey's ID left on the body of the victim. That is probable cause, my friends. And they would have just had to wait for the DNA 
for a conviction. With his record, he should have done three to five years in prison. And that would have saved Amy Ward's life. It would have saved Alexander Cruz, age 22, from a massive assault and battery. And she committed the crime of just trying to go to work. It would have saved Kaylee Ballantyne from being stabbed and mutilated as she came home from work and attempted to get into her own apartment. It would have saved all of those things. It would have saved so much heartache if Detective Jerome Hall Brewster had just done his job. I think you'll be happy to know that Detective Jerome Hall Brewster was demoted from the rank of detective down to patrolman with the Boston Police Department. He was nearing the end of his career, but he did lose his rank, and I believe he's retired now. But his two supervisors, actually three supervisors, were issued varying degrees of written verbal warnings in this case. And believe it or not, I guess part of what came out of this was the Boston Police instituted a case management system in 2014. So I'm thinking the Boston Police Department didn't even have a computerized case management system until 2014. That's a head scratcher in itself. So it's a strange dichotomy in this case where in the Amy Lord investigation, the Boston Police conducted a kick-ass homicide investigation and then they lumped in two other victims and they were able to do so flawlessly. What happened with this detective Jerome Hall Brewster? It's beyond me. But okay, let's get on to the trial, the Amy Lloyd trial. It's not going to take long because, well, the defense really had no defense. There was DNA, there was witnesses, there was video, there was his massive gash on his hand after he committed his last assault. So the evidence was stacked against them. The only thing the defense could come up with was an insanity defense, because I guess Mr. Alame at some point had some psychological disturbances or whatever, but um, the insanity defense went as well as most go. The jury saw through it, and he was ultimately convicted on all charges. For the first-degree murder charge, it's a mandatory life in prison without parole, and there was a litany of other charges that went with it. But Mr. Alamany is currently in prison, and he will remain so until he dies. Alamany is currently held at the Old Colony Correctional Institute or prison, and it's a medium-security prison where a lot of lifers are sentenced. It's not the worst prison in our system, but it's not great either. He is currently housed in the same prison as Neil Entwistle, the family annihilator, where they're both held is chock full of lunatics and madmen. And I hope he hates every single day of it. I don't believe for a second that Edwin Alamay was insane. I believe he was an urban predator and he would have continued his life of crime. But to know this case didn't need to happen really, really bothers me and it should bother you as well. So if you wanna see any more of this, there's a ton of video on YouTube and you can see Kaylee Ballantyne testify, Alexander Cruz, 
And those two were shining stars. In this case, they pointed the finger directly at Edwin Alamey, and they didn't fear him, and they conquered him. They kicked his ass. I try to avoid politics in my podcast, but I have to draw your attention to something. There's a current movement within the criminal justice system in larger society that we want to release people in prison, people like Edwin Alamey, and you'll just get more of these types of crimes. So instead of three attacks with one murder in 20 hours, you maybe get six attacks. Do you get eight attacks with these? You have to know what you're asking for. If you're asking for release of dangerous inmates like Edwin Alamey, you're going to get more murder. You're going to get more women hurt, okay? So you have to know what you're asking for in the criminal justice system when you ask for reform, okay? There was just a case in the Boston news media where a social justice group bailed out an accused rapist, and he went out and he did what rapists do. He raped again, okay? So while this social justice group bailed this guy out, He went out and hurt another woman. I thought the social justice warriors were trying to protect women. And now you're endangering. You have to know what you're asking for. Okay? That's all I ask. Know what you're asking for. We can disagree politically, but don't let other people get hurt because you feel bad that somebody's in prison. If you'd like to discuss that with me, feel free to email me at barry at bostonconfidential.net, and I'll be glad to go back and forth with it in a conversation with you on that subject. Also, our website is up at bostonconfidential.net. Other than that, guys, I'm going to leave you here, and we're going to get back at it for you next week. Have a good weekend. Talk to you soon.